Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good to see you guys. Glad you're here. Uh, welcome to Pastor Tim's Kitchen. Uh, I kind of told some of you, uh, Colleen and I, we've had our kitchen remodeled over the last, uh, you know, well, it seems like years, uh, actually. And I want to give you a sneak peek. Actually, this is kind of our portable kitchen that our creative team whipped up for our new series, Secret Sauce, which is kind of our, our new series with a kick. Quick vote. How many of you watch some of those cooking shows that are now very popular television, like Chopped, you know, Hell's Kitchen, uh, you know, Master Chef, Iron Chef, all those kind of fun we live right now in kind of that era of the celebrity chef, right? It's kind of like, you know, Gordon Ramsay, he's kind of the evil guy, you know, uh, Rachel Ray, cutie, uh, and then there's Emerald, bam! It's kind of a, kind of a fun moment, but uh, I always love that because they teach novices like me how to kind of whip up like a gourmet dish in like 28 minutes or less. And it's kind of fun because they, they share the secrets, right, of the culinary masters. And they can take something like hamburger, and all of a sudden, like in, in 20 minutes, all of a sudden, it's sage-scented veal burgers with a, with, a, with a goat cheese reduction in ramelade. And I'm like, what is that? They're like, cheeseburgers. Like, like, relax. It's not that. You know, to me, the magic of the show is really when the chefs reveal their secret sauce, that little something-something that gives their dish an extra kick. You guys like sauces? How many of you like to barbecue in the summer? Uh, okay, barbecue is about as close as I get to kind of the kitchen, but um, it was fun because on Friday night, we went over to some friend's house, they had us over for fajitas, and, um, and it was awesome because we, we, I had uh, these meat fajitas, and the meat was like so tender, and I was like, hey, what's the secret to this? And they're like, well, first off, it's grass-fed beef, and I was like, you know, don't all cows eat grass? They're like, no, uh, you know, it's one of those things, and, uh, and they're like, well, we marinate it actually for 48 hours. They put the beef in, and they're like, we use uh, molasses, we use um, uh, what are they, liquid smoke. She goes, my real secret, she goes, is I put a beer in it. And I was like, voluntarily, like, or just as you're drinking, what happens here? Uh, she goes, no, that's the secret. She goes, it just tenderizes it, gives it that little something-something secret. So all the vegans are freaking out right now. They're like, I don't like where this is going. Um, <laughs> everybody loves a secret sauce for their favorite dish. But here's the question. It's like, what makes a great sauce? You know, is it the sugar, the spice, everything nice? Here's what I want to do to get you in the mood. Our, our ushers, or I'll call them waiters today, they handed out secret sauce to all the people in center row. Would you do this, guys? All of you who have a little bottle, go ahead and put a little dab on your finger. Pass it down the row. Everyone's going to put a dab. Go ahead, a little dab will do you. I know it's early, but we got to get a little taste of this stuff. Okay, come on. Pass it on down. It won't kill you. It's just barbecue sauce. Come on, get it out. Put your finger up once you have it. Little, little something, something. Now go ahead, everyone taste. This isn't communion. Just taste it. Mm, wow, that's so good. What's in that sauce? What it, can you taste it? What's in there? You know, you could probably taste. Some of you are like, it's vinegar. You can feel a little bit of the chili peppers in there, molasses. Liquid smoke, there is such a thing as that. It's incredible. To me, the question is always like, what is the right balance of ingredients, you know, that wins the, the blue ribbon at the barbecue contest? The reality is this, guys. Every chef worth his salt has a secret sauce, that special combination of ingredients that they say, this is what puts my dish over the top. Now, here's the deal. This phrase, secret sauce, actually originated in the fast food industry with McDonald's. Do you remember this with the Big Mac? Special sauce, lettuce, cheese, you know, onions, pickles, on sesame seed bun. 
They, and it was always like, what's the special sauce on the Big Mac? Turns out it was Russian dressing, you know, from ShopRite, like big deal, right? Even Coca-Cola has a closely guarded secret sauce or their special recipe. Um, and I was like, I thought it was just like water plus sugar. Apparently not. In their headquarters in Atlanta, Coca-Cola actually has the original recipe for Coke in a vault, if you can imagine this. And uh, every year, people post it online, like, oh, here's the ingredients. And Coca-Cola has a policy. They never sue anybody who says they have the secret recipe for Coke, because if they sued them, it would be validating that they have the actual recipe. And they're like, no, we have the, the secret one there. A secret sauce is basically the, the special mix of ingredients that gives an icon its kind of distinctive flavor. It doesn't always have to be food. Think, for instance, of like Disney World. How many of you like going to Disney? The Disney magic, right? You love it, right? Disney has a secret sauce. You take like a, a heaping helping of happiness, you know, and a cup of cleanliness, and then a boatload of American families, cha-ching. Uh, and that is their secret sauce. People love it, that good, clean family fun. They love the Disney magic. That's what they talk about. Every organization has a secret sauce. And what I mean by that is a recipe for success that they rely on is this combination of ingredients that makes their, their church unique. And in our case, we're a church, but, and there's no uh, difference here at Liquid. We really have three key ingredients, our special secret sauce at Liquid, but we don't want to keep it a secret. In fact, if you are, uh, have seen them maybe printed on our t-shirts or in our programs on our website, we, we want to always highlight these three ingredients. And they are grace plus truth plus a little bit of fun for, for, for special measure there. We like to say it, grace wins, truth is relevant, and church, believe it or not, can be fun. Those are our key ingredients as a church and what makes liquid liquid. And today, I want to talk about our special sauce, or really where we get this recipe from, because we didn't just make this up. So let me invite you to, to open your recipe book, the Bible. That's actually where we got this combination. And you can turn to chapter one of the Gospel of John. It's on page 736, grace plus truth plus fun. We're going to unpack each one of these in the weeks to come, but today I want to kind of start with secret ingredient number one, and that is grace. In the opening chapter of John, the apostle describes Jesus this way. This is where we get the combination. It says, we've seen his glory. We're talking about Jesus here. We've seen Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only, the Son, who came from the Father, let's say this together, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, this combination of ingredients that Scripture kind of highlights here as unique to the person of Jesus Christ. These are the two ingredients that gave Jesus his power, proved he wasn't just a good teacher, but the Son of God in the flesh, come to show the Father's love and reunite us with the Heavenly Father. Basically, John says, here's the deal. Jesus was full of two things, and that is grace on the one hand and truth on the other. And he combined these qualities in like perfect balance, okay? In that order, he actually added grace first. Notice that. And I would say, this is the secret sauce, grace and truth, that really give Jesus' ministry its power and its kick. Think of it this way. Truth is kind of like hot sauce. Like, it's kind of sometimes hard to swallow. So, you know, all, all truth is, right? The, and the truth of the gospel is actually that we are all sinful people, that God is holy and we're actually broken. We're, we're sinful people living in a sinful world. That's why we see sin and death and destruction. That's actually part of the gospel truth. That's hard to swallow like hot sauce. But the good news is grace. God loves and accepts you no matter what you've done or where you've been. It, it, that is literally why he sent Jesus, to actually die in your place, take your sin on himself, give us his righteousness. And because of that, we receive eternal life. That's good news. That's a gift. It's grace. 
and that balances the hard truth of sin. It's like uh, hot sauce and blue cheese. How many of you like wings? You guys like buffalo wings? Um, we go to this Italian restaurant, Rocco's in our town, and we order buffalo calamari. And the first time we ordered it, yeah, I know, it's kind of a, and Colleen's like, you'll love it. And the first time we ordered it, they came, the calamari came, and it was like all orange because they put, you know, all the hot sauce in there. And I'm like, oh, this looks good. I popped in, I was like, <gasps> you know, like the steam starts coming out, I actually starts sweating. She's like, no, no, cool it down. And they gave you a little dipping cup of blue cheese, and you dip it in there, and you, then you can even like, ah. Oh. Because one kind of balances the other, and that's really what grace and truth do, okay? It's like you got the hot and spicy and the cool and smooth. One tempers the other, grace and truth, and together combined, they make one sweet sauce, one amazing sauce. But today, I just want to focus on this first ingredient that John says, this comes first before anything else. And the question is, what really is grace? Because if you've been around church for any time, you hear that word grace, like maybe you say grace before a meal, or we sing amazing grace, but, but what really is grace, and why does it come, why is it placed in Scripture before truth? And here's the reality, guys. C.S. Lewis said grace is the key ingredient of the Christian faith. It's what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. But if you really understand grace, it should, it should startle you, because it is the secret sauce of Christianity, and it really captures the essence of who Jesus is and what he came to do in our lives. Now, to give you a little sample size, a taste of grace this morning. I want to teach like Jesus. He was always telling stories, and I want to show you a clip from one of my favorite stories. How many of you have ever seen Les Miserables? Using a little French here. Yeah, maybe you've seen it on Broadway, read the Victor Hugo novel. Um, Basically, it centers around a convict named Jean Valjean, who spent 19 years in prison when he is let out on parole. And what happens is he meets a priest who gives Valjean his first taste of amazing grace. Check this out. You can't sleep here. Get away from me. Why don't you go to an inn? What do you think? Did you knock on doors and ask people? I asked. I asked everywhere. Leave me alone. You didn't ask there. Knock on that door. Do you have any food you can spare for me? Come in. Look, I'm a convict. My name is Jean Valjean. I've served 19 years hard labor. They let me out four days ago. I'm on parole. I have to go all the way to Dijon to report by Monday, or they'll send me back to prison. So here's my passport. I can't read, but I know what it says. He's very dangerous. Monsieur, you're welcome to eat with us as my guest. I'm a convict. You saw my passport. I know who you are. You're going to let me inside your house. What crime did you commit? Maybe I killed someone. How do you know I'm not going to murder you? How do you know I'm not going to murder you? What's that? A joke? I suppose we'll have to trust each other. 
I didn't kill anyone. I'm a thief. I stole food. I stole, but I paid for it. 19 years in chains. So they let me out and they give me a yellow passport. What can I do with the yellow passport? I have to go to my parole officer in Dijon, and then what? Starve to death? <laughs> 19 years. And now the real punishment begins. <laughs> Men can be unjust. Men, not God. All right, whoever you are, thank you. A meal and a bed to sleep in. A real bed. And in the morning, I'll be a new man. Anybody there? tried to help somebody and you get hurt in the process? Like you actually try to help them and then they actually take advantage of you? That, that happened to my wife and I actually when we were driving down the shore. Uh, it was the summer. We are on the Garden State Parkway of all places where actually most sin dwells. And, uh, you know, for once I'm going to speed limit, you know, trying to get there. My kids are in the back and we're cruising along, you know, minding my own business. And this black Camaro comes flying up behind me like a couple inches from our bumper. And, uh, and the guy starts flicking his lights, flick, 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 like move over, right? And I'm like, okay, but the traffic's tight. The guy's obviously in a rush. I'm trying to get over. So he goes, eh, 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 flick, 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 flick. And I'm like, oh, you know, settle down. Eh, 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 settle down. Eh, and I'm like, oh, man. You know, the, my blood starts kind of boiling. And Colleen sees, she's like, Tim, take it easy. You know, the kids are here, you know, in the car. She sees me getting upset. So, uh, so I did the Christian thing. You know, I'm a pastor after all. So, you know, I started praying for his destruction. Uh, you know, this is that moment where you're in the parkway, man. And so, uh, so the, you know, traffic opens up, whatever. And, and so the guy swings out and he revs his engine. Boom, boom. And as he goes past, he yells out the window. He goes, get out of the fast lane, you blankety blank. And for good measure, gives me the official New Jersey 
one finger salute on the way past our, you know, our minivan. He rows off down the road. You know, totally rude. The kids are like, what, Daddy? Why did you do that? I'm like, oh, you know. Now, what's funny is about 15 minutes later, uh, we're getting off at a rest stop, you know, where they have, like, you know, gas and stuff and everything. And I look in my rear view, and guess who I see? The Camaro kid. Uh, we had easy pass. He must have gotten stuck in the toll or something. And so we're now ahead of him, and he's over in the, in the other lane, and he's behind us. And we see him flicking his lights again to other people. I need to get over. And he gets over one lane, and I'm like, oh, he must need to get gas or something because now it's like, you know, 100 yards, 80 yards. He gets over two lanes, and all of a sudden, oh, you love this, he's right next to us. And he literally looks at me and goes, can I squeeze in? Can I, can I squeeze in there? Can I? You pray for moments like this, right? I mean, this is, it's like there is a God. This is amazing, you know. Freeze it right there. Can I squeeze? And he's flicking his lights. And this is that moment where I realize I had one of three lanes kind of open to me. I could have responded to the lane of justice. That is, you know, give him what he deserves. You know, right here, rules of the road, you know, no mercy for you. You cut me off, I'll call you a state trooper for you, you know, kind of thing. Or I could have chosen the lane of mercy, which, you know, from time to time, mercy is about showing forgiveness in the wake of offense. You know, I could have overlooked the rudeness towards my wife and kids and said, all right, you know, Christian thing, let them in, whatever. And from time to time, the best of our world shows mercy. But there's really this third way, this third way, and that is the lane of grace, that secret ingredient that John talks about here. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. And, and really, grace is really this scandalous response of radical love in the wake of being wronged by somebody. See, in Les Miserables, the whole story turns when Valjean is actually caught by the police after robbing the priest. They caught him red-handed, they lock him up, and they bring him back to face the man he assaulted and robbed. And the response of the priest is telling. I mean, what path would you choose? Would you choose justice? Would you show mercy? Or would you give him grace. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, and thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack, and found all this silver. He claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying... He told us the truth. Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, 
You no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. See, when we're sinned against, our natural appetite is for justice. We want to tell the truth of what happened to us, and we want consequences for it. That's what the law is for, right? When you say break the law, the law demands punishment when a sin is committed, when a crime's committed, right? And the priest could have, he could have nailed Valjean with the law, right? That punishment would have been swift and severe back to prison. Or he could have showed Valjean mercy, said, well, you returned the silver, I got it back, no harm, no foul. I won't press charges. I'm letting you go out of mercy. And the best of our world will show mercy from time to time. But no, 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 no. The scandal of Les Mis, the scandal of the gospel of grace, is that the priest introduces a whole new way, a brand new way, a third way to respond when we're sinned against. He chooses this path called grace. And it is scandalous. You know why? Because anybody with two cents in their head knows this. You don't let a convict rob you, beat you, and then when he's cost, you not only let him go, you let him keep the silver and give him the candlesticks as well? Who does this? What kind of message will that send? That's exactly what grace is. It is a radical response of love and forgiveness and blessing towards people who don't deserve it when they least expect it. See, the priest knew a secret. Justice can teach a lesson but only grace can change your heart. And with words lifted straight from the gospel, he looks Valjean in the eye and he says, Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul and I've ransomed you from fear and hatred and now I give you back to God. You are forgiven and you are free. I've ransomed you. I have paid your debt and it's cost me, but your sin no longer defines who you are. My forgiveness now defines you. You are a free man. Go and live and pass this forward. Guys, I know of nothing that more powerfully depicts a taste of grace that Christ gave his life for it because grace is not this wimpified kindness. Oh, grace. It is a daring counterattack, overcoming evil with radical loving kindness, offering the wrongdoer an extravagant gift that strikes a blow at their very core. It actually, it's no wonder Valjean's like, are, are you really letting me go? He can't comprehend why somebody would show such stunning generosity, such amazing grace. See, guys, I call grace scandalous intentionally because if you grasp this, it will challenge your notions of what's right and what's wrong, justice, and will sometimes put you in very questionable company. I want to break this recipe down for you. So if you're taking notes, I listed these three ingredients. And the first really is this. Grace is a scandalous embrace. If you're not uncomfortable with Christianity, you should be. Because <laughs> if you really understand grace, guys, if you grasp the kind of radical love that God has extended to us in Jesus Christ, and you're a church person, you're going to be very nervous about the kind of people that grace invites us to have into our kitchen to break bread with. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Flip in your Bible to John chapter 8. In John 1, we read the ingredients of the gospel, grace and truth. But in John 8, we see how Jesus lives this out. And as you're finding John 8, I'm guessing some of you are like, what happened to the Camaro kid, right? You're all like, what'd you do with that kid, you know? What'd you, what'd you choose, Tim? Justice, 
mercy or grace. And, and I'd like to tell you, it's the Garden State Parkway that I showed mercy. Uh, Colleen was encouraging me to be a mercy, you know, giver. He's like, let him in, Tim, you know, be nice. The kids are watching. And so, you know, I look in the rear view, and I'm like, oh, you know, and I slow down. I'm like, all right, go ahead, sweep him. But before he can even move, something else happened. I call this highway justice. I, this is like God. This enormous ShopRite tractor trailer comes out and barrels down on him about two inches from the Camaro kid's bumper. And the guy pulls eh, eh, And the Camaro kid gets so freaked out, he swerves back into the third lane, goes whipping past the exit and everything. And I don't know if this is highway justice or God, but as the trucker goes ripping by, he leans out of his cab and he goes, you mother, and gives him a double barrel salute. And you know, I'll be honest, you know how that made me feel? I mean, as a pastor, actually pretty good. I just have to say, I just, that, which reveals my own inability to show grace, right? All the ways that I live out of my flesh that are still broken and in need of God's healing. Now, that's a perfect context as we see in here in John 8, how Jesus is going to show grace and truth and apply it to someone whose life was very, very broken. Look at verse 3. Here's what it says in John 8. The teachers of the law... And the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. This is where we get that phrase, caught in the act from. This is the original text where, where that phrase come from. And when Jesus came to this earth, basically, he attracted two kinds of people. On the one hand, you have the Pharisees who were truth tellers. They liked to quote the Bible. They actually memorized the Torah. And they believed it was their job to actually not only uphold the truth, but defend the truth. Show other people where they were blowing it. Here's where you're breaking the rules. And here's where justice should be meted out. But on the other hand, Jesus also found himself with people who were, were more actually rule breakers. Like this girl. She's caught sleeping with this guy who isn't her husband. And I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine this girl's just kind of thrown at Jesus' feet. She's caught in the act, like Valjean. She can't even look up in Jesus' eyes. And I understand our culture is like a long way from that. You know, sex outside of marriage, very, very, it's celebrated in the media today. But in first century Jewish culture, problems. See, to be publicly exposed wasn't just shameful. It was grounds for justice, Jewish justice. As the Pharisees note in verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to what? To stone such women. In other words, in the Old Testament, there was a little recipe for people who fell short of the law. They would have a rock party. This is actually only half the story. See, because the law didn't just say stone the woman. You know what Deuteronomy 22 says? Actually, this is the actual law. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. Notice where the Bible places the emphasis, right, on the man, but it takes two to tango. But the Pharisees leave that part out because they know their Bible, which means they know how to be very selective about the truth. They can cherry-pick verses to highlight others' spectacular brokenness. And they, they're not that interested, actually, in upholding the law here because they're interested in something else. You know what verse 6 says? They were using this question as a what? As a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. In other words, the religious authorities at that time saw Jesus as a threat to this system of religious rules and punishment that they had worked so hard to construct. And I just want to ask you at this moment, who do you identify with the most? The woman or the Pharisees, right? Because you kind of have like grace and, and truth. Are you more of a, a truth teller or a grace giver? See, if you consider yourself a truth teller, you like justice. You wish everybody followed the rules like you do. 
And, and, and by highlighting someone else's, you maybe quote the Bible, you've memorized that, and just look at people like her falling short, and you're like, they don't even go to church. They don't even, you, he, she's living with him. Oh, that's, they got divorced. And you have a lot of truth to dispense to people who have made mistakes in their lives. And by contrast, of course, you're saying, but look at me, I haven't really done any of that junk. And that's how the Pharisees were. They were all about, we're doing this thing, and let's have a rock party for people who, who don't uphold the truth. And they, see, it's this attitude, guys, let's be honest, of moral superiority that I'm sure you have experienced if you spend any time around religious people. In fact, maybe that's what's kept you out of church. You've, you're like, that's the place where they judge you. I, I've been shamed the last time I went to church. But what's scandalous and what makes religious people uncomfortable with Jesus is his response. Because instead of condemning the rule breaker, he actually sets his sights on the rule keepers. See, in Matthew 23, Jesus told the truth to the Pharisees, called out their hypocrisy. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You what? You hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, and that is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. In other words, Jesus announces that actually keeping the rules, being precise and consistent about your tithing, for example, that's what this was about. He's like, that's commendable. In other words, in those days, people didn't give money. They actually went into their kitchen, and they gave out of their spices because they were the most expensive things they had. And he's like, this is, you could be very, very generous with your money, but stingy in your heart. And I'm not interested in your money. I'm interested in your heart. You lack that inner spirit of humility and grace. You have not generosity towards broken people. In our context, this would be the guy or, or gal who like attends church every Sunday, uh, cuts a check for exactly one-tenth of your salary, and when it's offering time, you put it in the bucket, it goes by, and then you see her. Did you see her when she walked in? Newcomer, woman wearing too much makeup. I think she's been divorced twice. Single mom. When the campus pastor prays, you go, well, it's amazing who they're letting in liquid nowadays. Outwardly religious, inwardly toxic, judgmental, the opposite of grace. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. He actually meant this literally. This is fascinating. Did you know this? The Pharisees literally poured their drinking and cooking water through a strainer in case a gnat had fallen into it. Because a gnat was a bug, an insect, a microscopic insect that was unclean according to Jewish law. So they strained their drinking water through a strainer. In other words, they were morally meticulous. Not one hint of sin in their life. Now, we may not, you know, I get relate to the arcane rules of the Pharisees, but we have our own unspoken rules and regulations in the modern church, don't we? In his brilliant book, 12 Steps for the Recovering Pharisee, like me, author John Fisher writes this. He says, for today's Pharisee, certain cultural taboos serve the same purpose, such as smoking, drinking, dancing, attending R-rated movies, for instance, Abstaining from these things may appear sacrificial, but most modern-day Pharisees actually don't want to do these things anyway. This system cleverly enables us to follow the law perfectly as we've reinterpreted it while passing judgment on all those who don't follow it, can't follow it, or who simply could care less about our little charade. Ouch! Truth hurts. Sometimes it's like hot sauce, and you're like, ah, I remember when I first read that. I'm like, where's the hidden Pharisee in my own heart? See, Jesus told the truth to people who were law keepers. He said, you want the truth? Let me see what's in your heart. You want to judge her? You want to condemn her? You want to have a rock party for her? 
And verse 7 says that he bent down and started to write down on the ground with his finger. And when they kept questioning him, Jesus straightened up and he said, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. You know where I got this? Somebody in our church gave this to me as a gift, this little bucket of, of rocks. And if you look on the other side, it says, those without sin, help yourself. I keep this on my desk. <laughs> it's an incredible thing. But Jesus says, you want the truth? I turn the tables, inspect yourself. What do you see in that heart of yours? Have you kept God's commands in every respect? You haven't been caught in the act like her? Good. How about lust? You want to apply the law? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully might as well have already committed adultery in his heart. Yeah, I'm actually the son of God, and I'm not here just to abolish law. I'm here to fulfill the truth. And I'm going to raise the bar on you and expose you Pharisees how badly you need grace too. Are you beginning to understand why it was church people who put Jesus to death? <laughs> See, to religious rule keepers, Jesus had the heavy hand of truth. But to those who were actually humble and honest about their failings, about the brokenness in their life, he applied the balm of grace, radical loving kindness. And with justice redefined that way, I mean, who could escape condemnation? The answer is nobody. You see in verse 9, what's it say? It says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, presumably they could think about all the things they'd done. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I love that image. Think about, imagine that. The Pharisees kind of slither away and just Jesus and this woman are left. And what, is he, what does he offer? What's the secret sauce? Does he say, now you're going to pay? He says, now I give you grace. Look at this. Woman, where are they? Have, has anyone condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And here's what he says. Then neither do I condemn you. Grace. Go now and leave your life of what? Sin, that's the truth. Grace and truth. I don't condemn you, but you're actually living in sin. Jesus offers the both. One tempers the other. Grace plus true equals one awesome sauce. That's the gospel. But notice when dealing with broken people, he leads with grace. That's why we say grace wins at liquid. Because grace is a scandalous embrace. You don't, you don't neglect the truth. You don't throw the truth out. That's the foundation. But we're to give grace. God throws, the son of God puts his arm around the town harlot. What kind of religion is this? That's scandalous. And my question is, is our church still scandalous this way? Do we show grace to broken people when they walk in our doors at Liquid? In the middle of their mess. Who actually come in and they've made mistakes in their life. They've got all sorts of issues. And we say, you know what? I actually don't judge you. We have no condemnation for you. But guess what? God actually has better for you. Because you need both ingredients, grace and truth, if you're going to have an effective gospel ministry. Most people I talk with, let's be honest, they believe God accepts them once they finally clean up their act. You keep the rules, you do your duty, you serve, you try to do good things. That's religion. That's not grace. Grace is the opposite. Grace is actually embracing people when they need it most in the middle of their sin and brokenness. Instead of giving them judgment, we give them something they don't expect or deserve, the candlesticks. We say, no, 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 no. Christ died to forgive you. He paid for your sin with his life, and you can't pay him back. You didn't earn it. It cost you nothing, but it cost him everything. See, grace is not just a scandalous embrace. It's a scandalous expense. We all know. We say it. When a crime's committed, someone has to pay. What it costs 
Valjean to get his freedom. It cost that priest dearly, 2,000 francs. And the only reason Jesus was in a position to offer grace to this woman and to offer grace to you and to me is the steep price he paid as well. He didn't give the candlesticks. He went to the cross and he gave his life. He said, on the cross, I'm going to take all your junk, all your sin, all your hidden judgment, all the spectacular sin, the stuff inside your heart you don't even acknowledge, and I'm going to pay for it with my life. And when I take your sin, I'm giving you the candlesticks, my righteousness. God is now going to see you, and you're going to be a free son of God. Your sin will no longer define you, but my grace will. Powerful, amen? The cross is the price of forgiveness, and it is a high, high expense. In fact, if you want an easy way to remember grace, you might define it like this. God's riches at Christ's expense. Can we say that? God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus got the cross, so you get the candlesticks. Folks, if you are ever asked, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Hindus have karma. You guys know what karma is? The belief that what goes around comes around. In other words, you're eventually going to get what you deserve. Muslims, they have a very strict code of law, okay, and rule breakers are dealt with severely. Buddhists even, Buddhists, you know, everyone thinks Buddhism, you know, peace. They actually have an eightfold path by which you earn God's approval. Only Christianity dares to make the claim that God's love comes to you free of charge. No strings attached. Go ahead and take it. In fact, it's not only a gift. The Greek word for grace is charis. It comes from the word charity. In other words, you don't deserve this. You can't pay me back. You didn't even earn this, but I'm giving it to you. Is it your pride that keeps you from accepting it? Woo! Paul puts it this way in Ephesians. Let's read this together. Big, loud voice. Ready? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not about your good behavior. It's not about you doing good deeds. It's not about you earning God's approval. God says, that's pride. <laughs> that's toxicity of heart. I'm giving you grace, and that's how I save you. You can't do enough. The Father loves you already, but you have to humble yourself and receive it through Christ. See, guys, grace is a scandal. It's a scandalous embrace. It's a scandalous expense, and finally, it's also a scandalous expectation. See, I'm talking to some of you who have never received grace because you're too proud. You're like, no, I, still, I have to do something. I have to earn this. Uh-uh. Grace says no. But now I want to talk to those of you who have received grace. You're a believer. You put your faith in Christ maybe decades ago, but you've lost touch with the candlesticks. See, when, we're, when we first get our taste of grace, you're supposed to never recover from that. In Les Mis, the priest looks Valjean in the eye and says, never forget. Don't ever forget the price that's been paid to set you free. You've promised to become a new man. What do you do when you receive a gift that literally changes the course of your destiny? See, God doesn't ask us to pay it back, but he says, I want you now to pay it forward. I want you to give others a taste of my secret sauce. In Matthew 5, Jesus commanded his followers, he said, you've heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth. In other words, he's like, you're familiar with revenge. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In other words, now that you know what it's like to taste grace from Jesus Christ, I want you to give a taste of grace to others in your life. 
In this life, you will be hurt. You will be offended. You, someone will step on your toes. Someone will outright betray you. A coworker will stab you in the back. Someone in your family takes you to court. Bad things happen. And Jesus says, in that moment, I understand. You just want to tell the truth and nail them to the wall. That's justice. And humans long for that. But I don't want you just to give justice. I don't want you just to give mercy. Go one better. Overcome evil with radical, amazing grace. If someone wants to sue you for the shirt in your back, give them the coat as well. In other words, someone steals your silver, give them the candlesticks. Grace goes the extra mile. This is where, from the Beatitudes, we get that extra mile. If someone forces you to go to one, give them two. Pay them back with a blessing. Why? Because you've tasted grace, and you know what the secret sauce is. You've sampled it. And when you return good for evil, kindness for offense, my kingdom advances in this world. Guys, this is the only way that our grace-starved world will really understand what God's love is truly like. Our world is hungry for grace. And in many ways, it is the only secret sauce the church of Jesus Christ has to offer. A very cynical and cruel world. You don't see grace much in our world, but sometimes it makes headlines. Maybe you remember what happened a few years ago in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. You guys remember the Amish schoolhouse tragedy? Um, 25 Amish children studying in a one-room schoolhouse. Tragedy strikes. 32-year-old madman named Charles Roberts bursts into their classroom with a shotgun, 600 rounds of ammunition, and he lined 10 of the Amish young girls up in front of the chalkboard, and he barricaded himself inside. He had written a note that said he was angry at God, and he intended to execute all 10 children. But two of the girls, two Amish girls, 11 years old, Barbie and um, Marion Fisher, sisters, they actually said, Mr., just let the other ones go and kill us in their place. I want you to imagine that, 11-year-old girls saying, sacrifice us so the others can live. And tragically, he just shot all 10 girls, and then he turned the gun on himself before the police could get in. And you see these things in the news, and that kind of tragedy and evil is unspeakable. I almost, I, I almost don't even want to talk about it because there's, the truth is, evil and sin and violence is a normal part of a living in a broken world that is marred by sin and sinful people. That's the truth. But what happened in the wake of that tragedy is what made headlines. You see, the next day, as the world watched in numb silence, the parents of the girls did something that was incomprehensible. They got in their horse and buggy and rode to the home of the shooter. And they actually knocked on the door to speak to the killer's widowed wife. And when she answered the door, instead of offering a fist, they extended their hand in forgiveness. And they said, you know what? We lost our daughters. But your children lost their father. And we want you to know that we forgive him, and we forgive you, and we want to help you. See, the Amish don't have health care. So as money poured in from around the nation to address the medical bills of the wounded children, the Amish said, we want to share the money with the killer's widow to help care for the, her, his three orphan girls. They forgive, they blessed, they said, here, take the candlesticks. Their story is told in an amazing book entitled Amish Grace, How Forgiveness Transcended Tragedy. They told CNN they want to follow the example of Jesus, who forgave his enemies and blessed them. They said, you know, what, you know what, grace doesn't undo the tragedy. 
It doesn't excuse evil, but it ends the evil forever. As you might imagine, not everybody understood that. I mean, forgive. How do you ever forgive someone who did that? Let alone bless the person who has hurt you or wounded you that way. But even the most cynical news reporter had to admit, they said, the response here has been nothing short of supernatural. And that's what it is. Because that kind of thing doesn't happen in the natural world. It violates our sense of justice. And guys, I understand that's a radical example. And God willing, none of us will ever be faced with such a task. But guys, this is how the gospel of grace proves itself true in the eyes of a cynical world that only knows sin and death and violence and revenge. Grace offered freely covers the darkest of sins and it is truly amazing. And it's the life that each of you were called to. It is a scandalous expectation of all Christ followers in big ways and small. So here's my question for you. Monday morning moment, how do you apply this? Ready? As you try to balance these ingredients in your own life this week, okay? Can I ask you this? Who in your life might God be prompting you to give grace to? Who is who's your enemy? Who has hurt or offended you? Maybe somebody in your family, someone at work, an ex. And, and your flesh is crying out for justice. You just want people to know and you want them to be punished. Forget grace. Really, God didn't forget you. God said, in your sin, I give you grace. And that gift was expensive. It was the life of Jesus Christ. He embraces us when we need him most, and then it's expected of his followers in return. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, what? Turn to him the other. If they steal your cloak, give them your outside coat. If they take your silver, wink, wink, give them the candlesticks. Who could you give the candlesticks to in your life? Because Jesus gave you a taste of grace. Now he wants you to do the same. That's the secret sauce. That's the only way our world will know what God's love is truly like in its most undiluted form. Do people feel that way when they walk in our church? Who could you give the candlesticks to this week? Someone in your family, a stranger on the street, someone new to our church? I will be the first to admit this is radical. It's a brand new way of responding. I mean, I've thought about the Garden State Parkway. What would grace look like to the Camaro kid? Like, what would I have done differently, you know? I, I talk to you about justice, you know, calling the cops, you know, hoping they, catch, they throw the book at the Camaro kid. That's my inner Pharisee talking. I told you about mercy. Maybe you forgive the offense and, you know, let them in my lane. On a good day, I might be able to do that out of my own strength if I knew someone was watching. But grace, like what would grace look like? It's such an outrageous notion, honestly. I can't even imagine doing this, but you know what grace would be? Grace would be following the Camaro kid off the exit, pulling up right into him behind the gas station, getting out of my car and walking right up to him and yanking the gas nozzle out of his hand and saying, this one's on me, free of charge. <laughs> I told you grace was expensive, man. That's $4 a gallon. And filling his tank... Can you imagine that? What kind of impact would that have on the Camaro kid? He probably would be like, what? Why? why are you doing this? To which I might reply, well, let's just, let's just say I have tasted the secret sauce. <laughs> and grace wins, my friend. Grace wins. Amen? Can you imagine if that's what God began cooking up in our kitchen as a church? If we became known for our distinctive flavor, amazing grace, all over New Jersey and to the ends of the earth, that's Christ's recipe for ministry. These are the ingredients, grace and truth, and it's no secret. We want everyone to know it, and we want all of you to practice it. Amen? I hope you'll join me in the kitchen. Let's just bow our heads and thank God for this amazing gift called grace. Father, I even feel my heart waking up right now, Lord. I've been in the journey 
with you for some time, but Father, sometimes I lose sight of grace. Lord, in my, um, in my desire to communicate the truth, sometimes I miss your heart. And Father, sometimes I, I look at myself and think I'm doing pretty good. But Father, the truth is, compared to you, we all fall short of your glory. And so Father, I thank you for the gift of amazing grace for those caught in the act and all the inner crouching Pharisees in this congregation. <laughs> Lord, we ask for your grace. We receive it from you, Lord. We ask for the Holy Spirit right now to renew our connection to Christ, Father. We thank you for his blood, which erases our sin and reunites us with the Father. And I ask for the Holy Spirit. Father God, would you enter into the relationships this week that we have with those in our family, at work, our neighbors, Father? Would you give us creative, imaginative ways to show your grace and that people would be wowed by it, but all the glory would go to your son, Jesus. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving us the candlesticks. Give us the strength this week and the courage to pass them along. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. All God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.